This is Lindsay O. And Maria D. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the, the Crushing, Crushing Base podcast. podcast. And what's this podcast about? I thought this one would start with an interview series that I did um, a few questions just about our approach at the college and uh, what we see as the overview for new learning methods in base. How did you get involved with Crushing Base? Well, I was obviously uh, approached, uh, and the short answer is I thought, if not now, when? So um, that's how it started. The longer version of that is, like um, myself and a lot of people of my generation and across all instruments, we're seeing things that are just missing now in um, education. And uh, it's quite frustrating, you know, because there's people that are trying to learn off uh, social media, which, you know, that's impossible because all you'll end up with is fragmented bits and no idea of how to link them. Um, and the other problem is that the people that are espousing some of the information, it's complete rubbish. You know, um, you've got to ask yourself, what have they done? Um, gigs are quiet, you know, and playing is about playing. It's about time on the instrument. It's about pressure, stage time. It's studio time. It's all of those things. And, um, you know, we were fortunate enough to have that intensity at an early developmental age and then through the um, post, you know, 10-year apprenticeship of music. Um, And there's just things that you learn by doing at that intensity that you just can't leave them out. They're, They're an integral part of why the music back then was uh, is it was and is still um, rare and classic, and um, uh, I think it's really important to focus on the fact that what's different now and what's different then. Then we had to work it all out. Now there's so much information, good and bad, and really uh, an up-and-coming player or a developing player or a beginner wouldn't know how to disseminate the fact from the fiction. Because, uh, you know, with our sort of experience, we look and we sort of go, oh man, that's not right. You know, uh, oh man, that's not going to work. Oh man, that doesn't work. You know, we know what cuts through, what doesn't cut through, what to do, what to do. And um, I think, you know, that needs to be put out there. That information needs to be passed on to following generations, it's going to be lost at some point. Um, And so, you know, there's quite a few of us, I think, that feel this drive to put it back to preserve it because we all work so damn hard to develop it, you know. Your bio says that you have played thousands of live gigs. Is that true? I mean, that's an awful lot. That's how it was, you know. Um, I started playing live in the late 60s and right through the 70s, and gigs were plentiful. There was, you know, sometimes two to four in a a night. And touring constantly and um, six gigs a week was pretty standard. If your band wasn't doing that, uh, you sort of went looking as to why. Um, Never blow four, but, yeah, six, eight, by doubling on Saturdays or something like that. But um, yeah, 
that's that's how it is. You know, it was a very very busy time. It was grueling time. It wasn't uh, wasn't easy. It's hard hard work. And with um, you know eight shows booked in a week or six shows, and the show must go on. So you're playing with you know some sore hands. Sometimes you're playing when you're sick. You know, you're playing when you're totally exhausted, um, even injured. Um, so. That's, you know, that's just how it was. There was just that many gigs that um, you were busy and you were busy. Do you think that creates a point of difference in your teaching? Well, I think it brings a reality to the situation that, um, you know, the being there, done that thing is a great thing for a teacher to have rather than, yeah, well, someone who did that told me this and someone who did that didn't tell me this. But here's what the uh, official course taught me, because um, you just need to have the reality of the situation. You need the good and the bad, you know. Um, you need to tell people how to do things, why to do things, when to do things, but also you need to prepare them for the downside, because there's no guarantees. You're on, you're on the edge all the time. Um, you know, there's some fantastic players that no one's ever heard of, and no one ever will, um, that have never played in bands. I know, I've seen people that would, in a shop or in a lounge room would blow you away, but the idea of getting on stage terrified them. So there's those sort of elements. Um, now, some of those guys do go academic, but they have all the knowledge, but they don't have just that you know, um, university of the street, the stage time. The stage time is so critical to having the information. That's our edge. That is the point of difference. It's coming from someone who's done it. And I think that was one of the factors that Crushing Bass um, used when they sort of made the approach for me to see if I'd be interested in setting this up. What is Crushing Bass doing differently? Well, again, I have to say that what we're doing is teaching reality. We're teaching from a position of experience across, you know, all areas. And we're factoring in the small tips and uh, things that aren't in the standard courses, aren't certainly not in um, structured academic uh, courses. Um, I know I've studied through there. I went to the um, State Music College here. Um, so, you know, there's only so much in a, a syllabus that can be put in. You can't talk about the lifestyle side of it. You can't talk about, you know, uh, the, the sheer grinding um, of doing, you know, the work. Or any, any gig is such a critically important thing to do. People come out to see you, and I really dislike it when musicians think they're there to party. You're there to provide the party. The audience are there to party. You know, it's the best job in the world when it's going off. But it only goes off from professionalism. And uh, I see a lot of people now um, that just don't have those that professional attitude. They're just too casual to their own performance and you know if people have paid hard-earned money 
and come out on a cold, wet, windy night to see you. God, you've got to be worth it. And that attitude and the, uh, the whole stage presence, you know, I'm not talking about showmanship. I'm talking about delivering as, as a professional musician. All that is intertwined in our why, what, when, and how phases. So even from the first lesson, there's tips in there that I know professionals don't know. So there's little bits here and there sprinkled all through it just to keep people um, moving in the right direction. And uh, it's a start to finish process. It's not like we'll teach you these licks, now we'll teach you those licks, now we'll teach you these licks like social media does. Um, or you can listen to this guy, that guy, this guy, that guy, that guy, not knowing where they're coming from, why they're coming from there, or how to ever get that into a sensible thing. Plus, if you're not developing you, then you're not playing what you are hearing. So you could have all the best chops from all the best bass players and still be lousy because you can't put it together. What you're hearing when people are playing is excerpts from their vast knowledge. You can't take that excerpt and that excerpt and that excerpt and that excerpt and put it together as you because that just won't work. It, you'll sound good, but you'll never sound great. What did you like most about all that live work? Oh, the audiences, for sure. Um, it's very gratifying, you know, because I oh, said so it's hard work, you know. It's very gratifying when people just forget about their problems for the time you're on stage um, and have a great time. Because, you know, everybody's got financial problems, emotional problems or, you know, whatever. Life, you know, it's an up and down thing. So when you see someone who looks a little bit beat up and then they leave excited and happy and, you know, cleansed, that, that's really, really satisfying. When a band is a good band and it's playing so often, it just gets to another level. You know, even telepathy kicks in. Um, you're in sync. It's, it's a very like spiritual connection at that level of music, which can't be found in, um, well, some areas, I guess, but not many. So it is a special, special moment. Um, those things are fantastic. Um, I think your own proficiency, just your own development, the pace, the, the, the fact that you're on the instrument so many hours a day, but there's a reason for it. That's also very satisfying. Um, so I think all those pluses, um, and also you learn to play the music for the music. You know, that from the first note, that show has to just nail it and for the benefit of the music, not playing bad music because the money's good. You know, I'd play good music for the bad money before I'd play bad music for any money. So that attitude and knowing that you're playing good music and it's working and it's gelling with people, you know, that, that's priceless. What did you dislike? Um, sheer exhaustion, the hard work of it all. Um, 
rip-off managers, <laughs> agents that are sort of not being entirely honest with you, um, bad scheduling, logistical nightmares, um, awful travel things, um, things like coming in off a six-week tour and at 3.30 in the morning being told that at nine that same morning you need to be at a TV channel to do you know, live television and you've got nothing to wear because it's been six weeks in a suitcase. Um, that type of thing. Um, bad sound systems. They're, they're pretty rare, but when it happens, it happens, you know. I think just um, the part you don't like is the hanging around the, and the grinding boredom of just hanging around. And, you know, that happens because... I don't know if a lot of people realise, but when a band comes on stage at midnight, say, they've probably been in the room since 3pm to do sound checks. They've probably ran out at 5. If it's close to the hotel, of course you can go back. But if it's not, you're there. That's it. You're there. And there's very little to do, you know. Um, you don't want to... You, well, you weren't allowed to be out in the audience. And... You don't want to be listening to the supports every night because you get tired, your ears get tired. When it's your turn, um, it makes it really hard to be right at the cutting edge. So, yeah, I think that that uh, hanging around, hanging around airports, hanging around hotels, hanging around lobbies, waiting for pickups, uh, hanging around um, at the venues, I think that that's the worst thing. I mean, if I had to go out again, that'd be the stuff I'd be dreading. You know, airports, terrible places. Um, you know, just things like that. And I think, my theory anyway, a lot of the guys that end up with substance problems, they start out of boredom, but then they've got the addictive personality or that gene that just won't let the monkey off your back, you know. And they end up with those devastating problems and, um, you know, horrible outcomes and tragic. And I think it's the boredom that does it. I don't think it's like, I'm a party animal, yay, yay. I don't think it's that at all. I think it's just like, man, this boredom's killing me. I've got to do something to liven this up, you know. Um, so, yeah, that'd, that'd be the thing that I would dread. Thanks for listening to the Crushing Bass Podcast. We're here weekly with information all bass-related and celebrity interviews with some very famous bass players. So watch out for that. If you'd like to learn bass or take your bass knowledge further, visit our education site at crushingbass.com.